gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host and master of shenanigans, Paul Long, and uh, we got another good one. <laughs> Newsflash, they're all good. But before we introduce our latest guests, I would like to shout out to our sponsor. For those of you that have been with us from the jump, you know that Charlie Hustle has been with us every step of the way. They're amazing in the community. They're amazing with uh, coming up with awesome stuff to wear. And ultimately, they'd be amazing for you in your holiday gifting. So check out charliehustle.com to learn more. Now, I've had uh, an opportunity to meet a lot of individuals throughout my life. And uh, many of, of my strongest relationships have come from my uh, my own place of mental relief. And that place for me is the gym. I've been going to Lifetime Fitness for some years and I've, I've run into this guy a ton. I mean, it never feels that no matter what time I go, he's there. And I think that's just the universe saying, I should stop like deflecting because he's so big and intimidating in my mind and go up there and introduce myself. So that's what's happened. And I am stoked to introduce to you current VP of sales for Siemens and former Purdue Boilermaker, Mr. Aaron Starnes. What's good, Aaron? Hey, Paul. Uh, glad to be here, man. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. Hey, I'm stoked to have you because uh, you and I have a lot in common. Yeah. We have a uh, very different personality styles, but what uh, what interests me most about you and even in, in our path and how they intersect is how similarly two people with different perspectives can think. Yeah. And so uh, before before we get into all of that, yeah. we've got a lot of amazing discussions. The people want to know, Aaron, what do you do for fun, my friend? So uh, avid, uh, avid outdoorsman, uh, spend a ton of time camping with my family. Um, something we picked up a number of years ago, um, avid hunter, uh, big, it, literally anything outdoors. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, I'm a gym rat. It's my, uh, it's my place to just go and be myself. Um, it's part of my mission. It's part of, you know, just talking with people, getting out there and being a part of your community and I love, uh, love being at the gym. It's, Half of it's just people watching. The other half is staying in shape and uh, not ready to give that championship belt over to my boys and girls yet uh, to uh, to give that up quite yet. So, yeah. Well, uh, that that is a, a perfect segue into something that we've had a lot of discussion about in the gym and, and relationships and what we're there for. Um, I do want to go into that with you, but before I do, I know it's hunting season for, yeah. for some, uh, what are we hunting these days and, uh, when's the next time you're going, my friend? Yeah. So, uh, already did, uh, opening, opening day for pheasant right now, uh, getting the chance, uh, here in a couple of weeks actually to go back out again with my father. Uh, it's getting, getting up there in the age, age years, but, uh, he's 80 this year, but, uh, still likes to get out and, uh, and walk the fields with me a little bit. So looking forward to that trip coming up here in December up in Iowa. For sure. Well, I admire that a great deal, especially right now. It's difficult, uh, as you very well know, with, uh, the lack of personal connection to probably be with family as much as you desire to be. So great job on that. Now you, you grew up in a gym setting. I mean, you grew up, uh, with fitness and, and health and, uh, competition being the forefront of everything uh, that you do. So I'm sure it kind of drives you philosophically as well as, uh, as physically. Yeah. So you were, you were a standout offensive lineman uh, coming up or, or what was that journey like? Yeah. You know, uh, you, you and I maybe even talked about this, man. I was the big fat kid growing up. Oh, really? I was man. Uh, really was uh, found the gym when I was uh, going into high school and really uh, 
love what it did for me. It gave me some, some confidence in other areas for me. Um, and uh, really kind of started to transform me. I found out very, very quickly. I just, I love the gym. I just like what it was doing to me and my body, uh, personally. And I was always an athletic kid, um, really was. So, um, that wasn't ever the case, but I just, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, having to deal with, with kind of the weight, weight piece still, uh, you know, you know me, I'm six, five, 280 pounds. Right. Um, so still, still have that going for me, but, uh, tried to put it in some different areas as I got older, for sure. I mean, you were a fit six, five two eighty five, but, uh, I, I mean, you look good brother. And, and that goes back to, you know, you are a very, um, life is all perspective, right? Yeah. And and we as a society tend to make judgments, unfortunately. And as much time as you and I have spent in the gym, we've seen folks that you could tell are doing it for themselves. And we've seen folks that you could tell are doing it for others and their ego and hoping that others see them. And I know that you're not that guy. And that's yeah. why I can relate so much to you. Um, one thing that we did talk about is uh, I know that you got a, a foundation that you're currently in the works of, of setting up. Yeah really exciting. Yeah. But, and we'll talk about that, but that kind of led us into a discussion of what you and I were wearing growing up yeah. in junior high and high school. And man, I, yeah. you told me you wore some pretty baggy stuff. <laughs> man, I was, man, we, we, uh, you know, my mom made some clothes for me, you know, took a, took a couple of different, you know, I was the kid that had a couple of different uniforms that mom had to put together for sure. Um, but I never did without, but man, we, you know, we were talking about wearing the pro wings, you know, going to Payless shoe source, rocking those things, man. I, you know, those work, those work well till they hit the sun, you know, and turned yellow after about, uh, 36 seconds, right. Of being out in the sun. So grew up, grew up wearing that stuff and just would, you know, wanted anything just to have that, uh, you know, Coke shirts and, you know, Coke or Pepsi, whatever that may be, or the baggy jeans or whatever that may be. So no, I just, uh, grew, you know, grew up with a great, uh, great family life, you know, never did without for sure. Man, my parents worked their butts off and I think that that's where I got my work ethic. But yeah, the, the man, I just, I, I wanted just to fit in, man. I think that that's, that's a big portion about uh, today. Well, yeah, life in general, right? Both in the yeah. workplace and at home. I think that so many people are driven um, in identifying their value and what they offer others. And their, their benchmark is yeah. what others think, right? And Unfortunately, if you don't feel good about yourself, uh, then there's never going to be in any level of value that others can instill in you that's going to move the needle forward. And you yeah. as a leader in a pretty significant organization do that regularly. But long before that, I'm sure that some of that confidence came from the football field. So as a uh, heavier set, using your words, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, young man, when did you find football and, and how did you identify that this could be a thing in your life that could potentially move you forward? Man, I, um, whether I even said this when you and I were talking the other day, the thing about football for me was um, I could put that helmet on and I still do this today, Paul, but I can put that helmet on and I could be somebody that I really wasn't. Um, I wasn't. I, I grew up, uh, whether you think so or not, uh, or know this, I am. I'm actually an introvert by nature. Uh, spent 20 plus years uh, really kind of transforming myself um, and, and who I am today. Um, I was the guy that literally, man, when they were introducing you, man, I'd duck out the back room as quick as I could, um, all that stuff. But when I started playing football at such a young age, I got a chance to be somebody that I wasn't really in real life. And I could run around and hit people and, you know, you know, act out a little bit. And, 
you know, be a little bit more violent and things that I really couldn't do in my personal life, I guess, even as a kid. And man, that just, it, it, uh, I still do that today when I get myself into situations, man, I just think about, I can put that helmet on and be somebody that I'm not. Maybe people don't see, people can see me differently. Yes. And, and you do that well, you navigate that very well based on the discussions that we've had. And I, I look forward to learning more how you do that in the work setting. Um, but, but you had the opportunity, your football career culminated at Purdue university and, uh, you got to play with uh, a perennial, uh, all pro quarterback by the name of Drew Brees that a lot of people know and understand what, uh, what, what was the, the pinnacle of your football career? Like what was, if you had a defining moment that you look back to and you think, I, I can't believe that happened or that was an amazing experience, what would it be for you? And there, uh, there, there's a number, I mean, there is a number of them, but um, for me, uh, you know, I, and you and I've talked a lot about this, you know, my football career uh, definitely helped set me in a different direction, but it doesn't define who I am. Okay. Um, I don't bring it up that often, um, to be honest with you. A lot of times it's people that are with me that, that bring up the, the Purdue thing and Drew Brees and some of the other guys that I played with. Um, and, uh, but I think from a pinnacle standpoint for me, uh, when I was a senior, um, I was given, it was uh, the Leonard Wilson award. Um, and it was literally, it was really kind of a, you know, a, a, an award that was given by my peers um, and the guys that I played with and the coaching staff that said, this guy exemplifies dedication and hard work um, you know, I, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, the best of athletes, you know, I, I was always just, uh, you know, I didn't exactly what the coaches asked me to do. Wasn't a guy that got in trouble, um, very often. Um, but, um, that was for me, that was a big piece because that was given to me by, by the guys that I played with and recognized that I showed up to work every day with my hat in my hand and, and ready to go every single day, no matter what. Now, the, you know, it's interesting, your, your concept of when I could put that helmet on and be somebody that I'm not. Yeah. Uh, football, historically, especially the more we learn about it, um, it, it could be a very dark sport, and yeah. dark for many reasons, one of which you mentioned just the violence associated with it. But a byproduct of the violence, of course, is the aftermath and the impact that it plays on your body, not just sure. physically, but mentally, right? And so to, to go out and, you know, put a hat on a hat or, or, you know, get down in the trenches or whatever, you have to have some semblance of tenacity and, and to use your word, once again, violence. Was that difficult for you? Or is that something that you have in you innately? Like, are you while still openly uh, an introvert uh, and embracing that? Yeah. Do you have some darkness in you that, that oh, for, <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> for sure. Grew up, you know, like I think a lot of kids, man, uh, I grew up, my, uh, my dad was a golden gloves boxer, uh, you know, and we did some of that growing up, um, spent a lot of time on, you know, with the speed bag with them. And, um, again, I go back to, I, you know, I was a, you know, I think my parents would describe me. I was a pretty, I was a very nice kid, that sort of thing, man. I, but I always knew just being a big kid, I could, you know, I could hurt somebody in a hurry. Um, but no, I, I <laughs> uh, unfortunately I do have a mean streak in me, um, use, try to use it for good. Um, and, uh, again, that's one of the things I loved. I was able to get that, get that aggression that I, you know, when I was, had to be that softer guy, um, the football, football aspect allowed me to, to get, definitely get that aggression out and just, you gotta be a little bit sadistic to love that, um, love the headaches that come with it. You know, all the stuff I'm, I'm sure, you know, any of my former, you know, former uh, teammates would listen you know, you do, I, you got get to the point where you, 
you love the love the headaches, you love the the hits, everything associated with it. And I know it sounds bad, but you know, even some of the you get those dizzy dizzy hits, you know, talking out your ear hole hits, you know, some of that stuff, and you get up and you're like, ah, that was a good one, and and it drives you. Okay, I'm 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 coming out for the next one. You better watch it. So. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on football because first and foremost, I'm sure that a lot of people listening as a fundamental fundamental podcast listener, we can't all relate to being a D1 athlete, which I never was, but I tried real good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, um, you know, it, it's just so, it's so timely right now. I don't know if you, if you saw this last night, I was on Twitter and uh, the current tight end for the Atlanta Falcons, Hayden Hurst. Uh, had an amazing story. And if you haven't seen it, Aaron, I strongly recommend, I'll even send yeah. a link to it. But he, he openly talks about uh, his depression and his darkness, which is the reason why I asked you. And yeah. and the time where he actually uh, tried to commit suicide. And so, yeah. um, you know, it, it hailed from uh, this experience of growing up in life. He was always like the cream of the crop. And he was going to be this, he was actually in the, uh, the, the Pittsburgh uh, organization for baseball and all of a sudden he just lost his ability to throw. Like he just, he, as, as close as you and I are right now, virtually, yeah. he, could, he couldn't, he was a 90 mile an hour fastball thrower. And now all of a sudden he couldn't hit it. So he hit this kid in, his, in the head and he said, I just, you know, I got so embarrassed and I, I lost kind of what defined me and I got lost in that darkness. And yeah. so this is something, as you very well know, not a lot of people talk about openly. And it's sad because there's so many people that need help. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on today. And the whole principle behind fundamentalism is the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. What can we do deliberately to invite more joy, fun, and fulfillment in life? And that yeah. takes me to you, right? We're at the gym. Yeah. And to be honest, like in the midst of this pandemic, I was kind of in a dark place and not for any of the reasons you would think. Like uh, it wasn't revenue. It, you know, I did, I, I lost a part of my, my own personal value and being out on stages and traveling and stuff like that. But my escape was always the gym. Like that was my meditation, right. that was my relaxation period. And for two hours or an hour and a half, it was just me, my music and working out. And there got to be a time in the midst of the pandemic where, because everybody was longing for personal connection and interaction, sure. it was just conversation after conversation. And I invited it. And uh, those of you guys listening, you've, you've heard me talk about this, but it was Aaron, it was you who kind of shed a little bit of light on why we do what we do or what the benefits could come from said conversation. So to open this up, how do you manage your own personal wellness plan at the gym versus your, your willingness to help others when you see that they might potentially need help? Yeah. You know, uh, interesting. Um, uh, that, you know, I look at some of this stuff as just what you said, man, there are a lot of people hurting even prior to this, man, there's, uh, men and women in general, I obviously, you know, um, gr uh, gravitate towards men, you know, cause I know some of the stuff where I was at, you know, even a few years ago dealing with some ups and downs and, and depression, you know, depressions and, you know, depression issues and sleeplessness and, and all this stuff, man, when you're, you know, I'm, I'll be 45 this year. And, um, you know, I, I really try to pay attention to people's body language. It, it tells a lot about somebody, man. And, you know, it's, it's really important for me, especially even nowadays with these masks on, right. Making eye contact with people, man. Like I see you, right. 
um, just as, is a huge differentiator to walking in there with your mask on and your head down. Um, I could very easily, um, Paul, go into the gym, do my thing, look intimidating, have a scowl on my face, you know, also, you know, you know me, I mean, I, I can get into my own little, into my own little, uh, groove and mindset, that sort of thing. But instead, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think that, um, you know, my mission sometimes puts me in a direction to say, Hey, reach out to that person or say something to that person, or, you know, just ask them what they're saying. My big thing is I, I do, I ask a lot. I'll, I'll see somebody at the gym. I say, Hey, what's your story? Hey, tell me your story. Right. And catch people off guard a lot of times and they want to talk. Um, so you just kind of read, you know, you can kind of read people's body language a lot of times. And that's, um, I'll take that any day over the week. I mean, I'm, I'm at the gym right now quite a bit and, uh, it's my, it is my, my place to get away for a few minutes. Um, but man, if I get a 15 minute workout in and I get a chance to have a great conversation with somebody and, and meet them where they're at, that's, that makes all the difference to me. And I, it just, that's what helps build me up and keep me excited and gets, that's what gets me motivated. I got to tell you is, is meeting people where, where they're at and seeing if there's something you can do to help somebody out. And it's a lot of times it's just having a conversation with them. Sure. I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. And, uh, I constantly battle that because there's a fine line between, you know, helping others to the extent that you can help them and helping others to the detriment of yourself and your energy. Right. And so I bring that up because, um, you know, there, there was a time where I kind of lost my zest for the gym and that is, that's something significant in my life because for, for 15, 20 years, I mean, the gym was, it was my spot. And I got to a place here where I, I didn't even want to go anymore. And yeah. so what, what I love about what you're saying is we just had this interaction roughly two weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, there are folks, and, and you know that they exist in life, that they need help, but they're not willing to do anything to help themselves. So ultimately it becomes more of just a sounding board and, and putting their problems on others uh, rather than identifying solutions or even reaching out to others for solutions to said problems. So my point is there are a couple of folks that I have learned to kind of navigate around at the gym. I got yeah. the other day, yeah. I do about uh, 50 pull-ups. I'm on my way to my second workout. I'm uh, my second activity. I'm, I'm, I'm strategically navigating around certain individuals. And then I see you and boy, do we start talking. I mean, we talk for 45 minutes about charity and podcasts and everything yeah, else. And yeah. I go, are you walking out? <laughs> so I got, and you said, did you even work out? <laughs> and, but to your point, like that was what I needed that yeah. day. Like that, that was, that was, to, to be cliche again, the universe at that time saying like, I indulge in great conversation. It wasn't me exhausting myself. It wasn't me trying to, to give all of myself to help somebody improve in their day. It was two people that were genuinely interested in yeah. one another. So yeah. that's what I love about you, brother, is um, there's a lot of people out there that, that we create conversation, but not deliberately in hopes of really learning or pulling more out of folks. So we ask folks like, how, how are you? Yeah. But when you ask a question, like, tell me your story, that, that is so deeper, right? And it, and it just shows that you're genuinely interested. So how is that manifested in your career? Because we talked a lot about personal aspects of your life. How, how does this personal connection and your willingness to engage with others impacted your career? 
man, it's I tell you, it's not 100 percent. Right. So uh, for for, you know, the folks that listen to these um, podcasts of yours, uh, you know, it's not 100 percent, man. It's it's not a science and uh, it's I'm not perfect by any means. Um, but I think too is is to to connect, try to connect with people. Um, I've tried to be something for somebody for le- other leaders that I'm not, and I think that that's one of the things that manifests itself. And and what is true to me is is meeting people where they're at. Um, and I think in all cases, Paul, I think something has 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 to happen or has happened in people's lives that make them change. Right for me. And my, you know, and even what's happened in my leadership, even a few years later, is that um, people, I think, are our most precious um, resource from a business standpoint. Um, I know sometimes my probably my sales organization doesn't think so, you know, but behind the scenes, you know, you're you're you know you're working for better compensation. You're working for you know trying to take things off their plate, maybe things that they don't necessarily see all the time. But um, honestly, my my sales team, my sales leaders, my regional vice presidents are are uh, they're the lifeblood for me and my organization. Because if I can get make them happy and they enjoy what they're doing and take things off their plate and show them that the organization that they're working for and for the organization, it's not just Siemens for me, but it's me. Right. I'm I'm my own brand. And if I can do that um, and, and hold myself accountable to do the right thing most of the time for them, right? It's not 100%. There's some things that I just can't do to make you happy, right? Um, that uh, that's, I think that, that that that's what leads me down my leadership path, right? Um, is is those things and, and treating people where they're at and, and what's, I mean, honestly, what's wrong with being nice to people and fair, to be honest with you? Especially in today's society. Right. Um, you know, from a leadership acumen perspective, I'm terrible at remembering who said quotes, but I'm great at remembering quotes. But uh, somebody once said that let the improvement of yourself keep you so busy that you don't have time to criticize others. And you're an individual that spends a lot of time in reflection. And uh, your leadership acumen, while you do have areas for opportunity and still a long way to go for growth, and you'll never arrive, as we all know, right? Right. Um, It took you a long way to get to where you are. So, uh, you're a fantastic leader now. How did you get there? I wouldn't say I'm a fantastic leader. You're a great leader now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I t- you know, I think, you you know, being being uh, self-aware, one of the biggest things I think in miss from a leadership perspective, uh, you know, I think some of the of the great leaders that I have worked with and are currently working with, I think have great um, uh, like, uh, um, you know, empathy for people. Right. Um, and what I would consider it's I know it's an industry term, but emotional intelligence. Right. Being able to read what's happening. Right. And paying attention to um, people in general and not just there are great business leaders that are good numbers, people, good spreadsheet people. Um, but they couldn't they can't present to save their save their lives. Right. They don't have any any control of a room or a presence of a room. Right. They've never worked on that particular craft. And for me being from my, this goes back to even my athletic side, right? I, I have to respect you that you've taken enough to deal with that craft 
to, to look at you. When you tell me that I'm doing something wrong as a leader, but yet you don't have the ability or, or have the wherewithal to fix that about yourself. Mm. Right. Um, and I think too, from a leadership standpoint, I want to make sure that I'm incredibly approachable. Um, that my, when I tell you my, I have an open door policy, I'm, I'm truthful about it. Right. Um, I have probably, I would say eight or nine of my 105 sales reps that call me consistently just to chat. Right. And they're like, man, you know, we get done. It's I can 15, 20, 30 minutes. Um, some of them are personal friends. Right. Um, but I think from a leadership standpoint, you go back to the emotional intelligence piece that you're able to kind of read the situations. And because I think that's, that's a huge lacking piece to that, but, but the, the, but the craft paying attention to the craft that you have and what you're trying to accomplish to get your word out, I think are a couple of big things, man. So managing a team, and managing yep. a sales team are two different things, right? Yeah. Because uh, sales, <laughs> to be in sales, obviously, you have to have uh, somewhat of a personality. Yeah. Uh, you have to be willing to engage. And so I kind of want to talk to you from, from, from the moment that you're identifying who's a good fit uh, to the moment I'm thriving now in my specific sales role under your team. So first and foremost, like for you, what makes a great uh, sales individual? What great, what makes a great salesperson? Um, I, you know, I know processes are always great, right? From an organizational standpoint, you'd say, you know, uh, um, you know, how you work, you know, from identification down to taking care of the customer, you know, purchase order installation or the close and, and how you take care of the customer, right? That's always great to have, right? Do you have something that you can say, if I miss a box, can I go back and say, all right, I, this took so long to close because I missed something very, very important. That's, I think that's, that's first off. And I can teach you that, right? But what I can't teach you is the ability to just have a conversation people with people, right? Um, it is never going to change, right? Um, I think during the pandemic, people said, oh my gosh, salespeople are going to get replaced by, by telesales, right? It's a cheaper way to go. It's not. It really isn't. Because what, one of the things that we see is people still buy from who they know, like, and trust, right? So I think where people get locked down into a process or organizations get not locked down into a process, they still can't teach somebody just to have a regular conversation with people, right? And to again, I'm gonna go back to this, meet them where they're at and figure out what their needs are, right? And it might not even be what you're selling, right? So can I have a conversation can I do something outside of work? Can I have something outside of sports? Can I have something outside of politics? Can I just talk to this person and see what, what they like to do? What you, how you be, began this, right? What do you like to do, right? What, what, what defines you, you know, and having conversations with that because they'll remember that when it's time for them to purchase the product or they need their problem addressed that you're trying to accomplish. And that's the thing I think when I'm looking for salespeople and other leaders um, to lead those particular people is, can you even have a conversation with these people? And that's, that's a, it's an art that is very quickly, very quickly disappearing. Man, I couldn't agree more. And it's so weird because, you know, uh, for whatever you indulge in, whether it's just a good conversation or a glass of Cabernet or, you know, whatever you're into, when you get around your friends and potentially even your family, like we have no qualms about vomiting at the mouth and asking all the questions of all the stuff going on in the world and how we're doing and all of that stuff. But when we put a desired outcome into the mix and uh, the ultimate goal of selling something, yeah. that we, we lose our wits about us we and do. feel like we, 
we have to shift our focus elsewhere. And um, I, I want to talk about how that process starts with you and identifying uh, these, these skills in people. But prior to that, we had a really interesting discussion recently at the gym. I think it was the same day that I walked out with you. Yeah. We were talking about uh, folks in my business, right? Uh, we're constantly selling ourselves. And I told you, man, I just sometimes it's grimy. I don't like it. It feels narcissistic, but we got to do it because people don't know. And in your role, they don't know what we do unless they know what we do, right? Right. And so in your role, being a, a senior leader, uh, you, you get pitched a lot on folks coming in to train your sales teams. And right. you, you were really fun about how you approach that discussion. What is the, what's the biggest uh, roadblock when individuals come to you, whether it's me as a speaker or a sales consultant or whatever, what really turns you off when people come to you and position themselves as a solution to your problem? It is just exactly what you said, positioning themselves instead of addressing the problem that I have, right? You can very easily in a conversation figure out what the problem is, right? Don't, I've always said, don't sell a sales guy. I hate it, yeah. right? Don't come to my door and tell me the product that you have because you have no idea if that's the product that I'm looking for, right? right? So I think that that's the biggest frustration. And again, when I'm, I'm out in the field traveling or, you know, in front of customers and I'm listening to listening to my sales team pitch, right? It's, you haven't even addressed, you're missing the entire point. You haven't even addressed the problem, right? So I think that that's, again, that's the skill that's being lost is, is it takes time, right? Um, I think they say that, you know, the average, average sales call takes, you know, between five and eight opportunities to get in front of somebody and figure out what a problem is and to, to draw something out. And by the way, while you're doing that, you're creating a friendship, right? And I think that people miss that. Um, but again, going back to your question is, I think that that's, that's what I don't like the most. I don't sell me, right? You shouldn't have to sell me. You can get into your process and still have a conversation with me and meet these particular pieces as they're saying, yes, that's what I want. Or, um, you know, I'm, here's the problem that I need addressed. And you're in the back of your mind. Um, you're starting to put your products in there. You can do that. I think that um, I've always said, man, if you're if you've gone into a feature benefits data dump, you you're lost. Right. Your competition has won. I am going to wait till I almost have a purchase order in hand before I've ever introduced the product to you. Right. right? So um, I think that if I even go back to when I was carrying the bag, that's what made, I think made me a little bit more successful is waiting so long to talk about the product. The people already wanted it, right? They're asking me for it. They're begging you. What is it? What is it? Right. And you got them by that particular point. Have a, I go back to this, have a conversation with somebody that, and again, it's a craft that you practice, right? You practice, be, be good at, I'll even say this too, be good at failure. You need to start to love failure because that's the only way that you're going to learn some of this stuff. For sure. Well, one thing that you said uh, stuck out like a sore thumb to me and that you said, have the, when the customer's asking you questions, like yeah. what's the next step or t tell me, then you know that they're interested. And right. what's so amazing to me about everything that we're saying is, you know, as I reflect back on individuals that thought or even in fairness to salespeople, we as a society have actually reaffirmed whenever you hear somebody talk a lot, you say, oh, they, you got the gift of gab or you must be a salesperson, right? Right. What's interesting about that is the truly successful salespeople, they don't talk. 
They listen and they find a way to ask the right questions. And so what's magnificent to me in the sales process and those that thrive like you have recognized that the less I talk and the more I ask meaningful questions and get the, the, the potential prospect or, or customer to do something that you as the Fundamism Podcast listener, you've heard me say it a million times. And if I say it 5 million more, I still haven't said it enough. The power of self-discovery is one of the most critical things that you could have in your leadership, sales, personal development tool belt. When you get to a place where you could ask questions to get somebody to identify a need in their life, you don't have to sell them anything because they've sold themselves already. Right. All you have to do is fill the void. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. how do you identify that skill, Aaron, early on? Because you uh, lead a sales team, which means that you start from, I've identified that I, that I need plus one. Uh, I, I need a, a, a salesperson. So we got we to gotta put out a request. I got to hire. Now you go through the interview process. What's that look like for you? Well, so, I mean, you know, when you find the right person, again, you start putting them through. For me, I spend a lot of times just having, uh, you know, I can learn a lot. I, I know I know if I'm going to like somebody within the first 15, 10, 15 minutes, right? I've ended hundreds, literally hundreds of, of interviews 15 minutes in because this is not the person that I even want to have a beer with, right? Um, how does that so, look? Sorry to interrupt. Like, so how do you, cause you're a very assertive guy and I'm like the, like touchy feely, like, oh, yeah. like this out. What does that look like? I'm 15 minutes in and this isn't a good fit. What do you say? No, uh, honestly, I'm a little sorry. So uh, I'm pretty sarcastic. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, you know, I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the point where like, Hey, is there anything else? You know, I haven't got a chance to ask them anything. Right. And they're just dumping on me. Right. Uh, you know, and, and we really, you know, they're, they're trying to sell me right up front why they're the person, right? Um, I, like, Hey, I'm, um, is there, you got any questions for me at this point in time? You know, uh, and if it's not the right, Hey, I, you know what? Hey, I only wanted to talk with you for a few minutes. Um, and uh, I'm good. Um, I'm good at this point in time. Um, I've even done the, um, really, really quickly. One of my favorite endings is to just say, Hey, um, I have an emergency call. You have three minutes to sell me on the job. Yeah. Okay? And, and then I said, I got to hang up the phone. Go. Wow. That's, that's very intelligent and deliberate. Right. So I got to, I got to go. Two, two deliberate purposes, right? A, yes. I get the hell out of this room <laughs> and B, like you're under pressure. We're going to see how you do. Right. Right. So two, those are two of my f- favorite things, but I, you know, I've literally said, Hey, I'm, I, I think I've got enough. I'm good. Um, to, to just kind of gauge, I, I, and I'll even say, I just want to see if you were crazy or not. And I pretty much found out that you were crazy. So, um, I'm good. Um, how about, we'll, we'll, I'll let you know what next steps is. I'll have, you know, so-and-so reach back out to you. Um, but I'm good. Right. So, I mean, there's no point. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, th- there's no reason why you need to drag somebody on for an hour. I, you know, I've worked with people before and I'm like, why did you let that interview go on for an entire hour? You knew you and I both knew 15 minutes into this thing that this person wasn't, why'd you do that? Well, I had questions I want to go through. Stop it. Quit wasting their time and yours. That was worthless. Right. So, um, you gotta be, be real with people, Paul. I think you and I have, have gotten to know each other, um, enough. I mean, it's life is way too short. Be real with people. Right. So. Sure. Yeah. And, that, and that's something that I struggle with day in and day out. I don't struggle being real. 
but I struggle severing the cord. Uh, <laughs> I am I am very willing to uh, to invest more of myself to my own detriment, and uh, and that's something I, I consistently work on. And so, meeting individuals like you that are better at it than I, uh, you know, through the power of osmosis, I hope to learn something. Uh, and obviously, you like <laughs> that six five two eighty five hammer on me. But uh, so, all right. So you've you decided that I might potentially be a good fit. We're going to explore next steps. We're on the onboarding process. What does that look like? How do you start to identify uh, the current skills that I have and and potentially close the gaps on them? Well, and I think we picked up a lot of that from an interview standpoint because I've spent some time, um, to, you know, really going through from a scenario standpoint. Do the do the person have these? You know, and I'm going to test you. If you tell me that you've got Miller Hyman skills, or that you've done Maverick, or if you've done, you know, the different these different particular pieces, uh, for me, if you throw out those buzzwords, I'm going to I'm really going to test you on it, right? If you say I've got full command of the Atlanta region and I know all the contacts. I'm starting to, you know, hey, I'm going to ask you, you know, who's, you know, who's, uh, got, do you, what's that, uh, what's the pathologist at uh, Children's Hospital of Atlanta? What's that lady's name again? Or, um, man, who's the, who's the CEO there at Piedmont? Who runs that group again? I mean, if you know those people, you better be, for me, those are buzz things. I'll get completely off script because I'm going to definitely challenge you if you bring that stuff up. So, um, if you put that you're a PMP, like I'm going to go down through some processes because I've got a PMP certification from a process management standpoint. I'm going to go through what some of those buzzwords are and really, because if you put that on there, I'm going to test you on some of that stuff and you figure out where people are at. And I think that also determines if this person's going to do this on a resume, I, what am I going to get out in the field? I'm going to get a bunch of, you know, BS. This guy's going to give me a bunch of fluff because he's a real good talker at this point in time. For sure. A salesperson, right? <laughs> so you've identified uh, as as one of your plus a hundred. Yeah, I, that I have a an opportunity gap. Yeah, that you could potentially close. What's your process for uh, for closing that gap for the skills transfer? What does that look like? As well, a I mean, internally we have a you know, and that's the the fortunate side of being a part of a large organization, right? We, I can, I can't teach you those those skill those intangibles, man. I call it it. Yeah, I can't teach that, right? You get that in conversation. I have taken a chance on uh, people that have done B2B phone book sales. Um, I've taken, you know, uh, I, I come from a background of uniforms and first aid and safety, working at CentOS, right? Um, knocking on door to door. I will take chances on that versus being in the healthcare side every day of the week. I can teach you all those other things, right? I, I can teach you a selling process. I can teach you how to work a CRM. I can teach you how to map out your territory. I can teach you all those other things, but I can't teach you those intangibles that are hard to put your finger on. Um, and uh, just those, those, some of those skills of talk, again, I go back to this talking to people, right? Think it's not necessarily the gift of gab. It's the gift of listening, right? Sure. Um, whether I've even told you this example or not, I I've said, if you get a chance to sit in from a CEO, from a listening standpoint, right? Uh, you get a chance, pick your CEO, right? Favorite person in history, whoever you want to sit down with, would you sit there and pepper them with questions the whole time? No, the answer is no, because you'd never learn anything, right? You'd sit there and just listen, right? And so when I find that it, right, it's the it thing. It's the thing I can't put my finger on. I can't teach you, but you find that and you find those people that are good listeners and they're scheming and planning for 
whatever has to come downstream of, of all this stuff, right? They're, they're seeing where all this stuff hits, hits in the process. So I feel like what I take from that is I need to reassess my fundamentalism podcast format. So instead of asking all my questions, I just say, go. Just go. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might not like what comes out of it if that's the case. I think you do a better job commenting. Uh, commenting. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, it's an interesting dynamic uh, with, with having this platform, right? Because the bulk of folks that are tuning in to the Fundamental yeah. Podcast, they want to hear what the guest has to say and the, and the content matter and all that stuff. Yeah. But we got them because maybe they were at an event that I did or the concept piqued their interest. And so for me, it's kind of difficult. And I want to make sure that I appease all parties, the guest, the listener, and make sure that people find value on both the fundamentalism side as well as whatever the content looks like from our guest. And so, Aaron, you're killing it, obviously. You're a seasoned oh. professional. Um, you, uh, when I say a seasoned professional, you do a lot of presentations. I do. And uh, this, is, this is a topic uh, and a function that a lot of people are just frightened to death about. Right. And I know that it's changed dramatically over the course of the last couple of months. And what I want to talk to you about is how your, how your environment, your sales environment, your, presenta- your presentation style has changed over the course of the last couple of months. And what have you done to move yourself and your team forward? Yeah, uh, you know, we're trying to do things from an organizational standpoint, right? We've changed, you know, how how some of our platform is, right? As far as how we're submitting, uh, you know, and and getting our message out to our customers for sure. Um, we're doing a lot more, um, you know, demonstrations and installations of of, of capital equipment from a distance. Um, teams are doing, uh, um, you know, strategic presentations. Um, but I think one of the things that has changed for us too is, is how you look on that screen, right? Um, for me, you know, I look back at where, where we started back in March because I did done very few, uh, video presentations, right? You just did them. A lot of times it's, you know, you're sitting in front of your computer, right? Um, just doing these things, right? You didn't care about what was in your background. You got your t-shirt, right, right. Straight up your nose. Those are my favorite right now. Uh, Right. So nobody, ca- nobody really cared because it was like, all right, it's kind of the novelty, right? Now it's, man, this person's probably been doing this for months now and they still haven't changed anything, right? So for me, I found out very quickly, I can't, st- I'm, I'm a stander. I've got a stand-up desk, right? I dance. I move around constantly, right? <laughs> and uh, it just, it also helps me with my energy, right? So because I'm, if I'm on stage or standing up in front of a room, that's where I get my, you know, that's how I get my energy. I'm moving, right? You can't do that in video, right? You've got to stay. It's very, very distracting, right? Um, I also have had to calm my hands down some. I, I, I moved my hands around constantly. Again, distracting, you know, and you kind of get that from other people from feedback, right? You need to have people that you trust that are on these calls with you to help you give you feedback, right? It's one of the questions that you, I think, you know, that you even asked me and we can follow up on that later, right? Feedback as far as, you know, your new, pro, you know, some of your new promo material, right? How that stuff looks to people, right? You've got to find those people that, that you trust that are going to give you good, honest feedback on what you can do, right? So I think for me, it's, you know, it's a lot of things to pay attention to. Uh, you know, one of my big things right now is like what you said, like, why are you shooting that camera straight up your nose, right? Um, did you not see the whiskey bottle sitting in the back of your, you know, sitting back there? Um, 
why do you have a headset on? Why you're not you? I'm just saying, like oh, you know, it. like the, the big muffs with the microphone, right? Um, and I'm I'm shocked that people are paying attention. Why are you wearing uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan on your? <laughs> right. I lo- and by the way, I love that. I'm uh, I, I actually took a note. I'm like, okay, I got to see if I can find a hacksaw Jim Duggan shirt. <laughs> I love it, man. But I think you go you go back to some of that stuff going and say it's all part of the the act and the 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 piece that you're trying to put together and the professional piece because if you've taken the time and forethought it means so much to your your uh, um your customers that you've taken the time to do that right um so in practice here the last piece of this is practice right i've practiced what i'm going to present over and over and over um we just did our national sales meeting. Um, I had four presentations and I'm not joking. You, I probably did 125, 150 per personal practice sessions where I watched myself to see how I was coming across, listened to my voice, you know, and, and, you know, and, and done that over and over and over again. I think so many, so many people, they know the content. That's not, you know, nobody is questioning your ability to, the knowledge of the content. Everybody's questioning your delivery of the content, right? Because that's that's the biggest thing. When I'm presenting, if you were to never see a slide that came up, right, that you have, you're going to get everything you need to know about me or about what I'm saying from my words. Listen to my words, right? Not necessarily what's up there or what's on that screen. You, and again, that's that's one of the things that you got to try to to gauge back and forth. And you don't get, and you know this. If you're doing you're doing these video deals right now, you're not getting any feedback, right? So you're you you have to trust because I've practiced so much that I understand what gets people's attention because I've been in, in front of them and I've practiced that and really tried to pattern that sort of thing. And I've and I've got people to give me feedback too, right? Sure. So I, th- th- that's a couple of things that has definitely changed and people are people are big time struggling with still. Well, uh, I want to get into this a little bit more before we start to wrap up. There's two uh, really quick questions that I want to ask you before we uh, wrap up our time together and probably see you at the gym in an hour. But uh, so this this conversation we just had, this topic, uh, is one that we could have a whole episode on um, because it really boils down to what you, you, you said earlier on, like how do you show up your authentic self, your brand is what you called it, right? Yeah. And what's interesting to me is, so I've been either speaking or consulting or in the training realm for 15 years. And uh, when I was a a lowly call center rep, I say lowly because I was, uh, I was at the bottom of the barrel, um, you know, trying to find my way. And I was always what you see. Like I was always this, like Jojo, the crazy circus clown. (laughs) And uh and what was amazing is we hired a consulting firm. They taught us some leadership characteristics. Uh, my company didn't want to continue to pay the external firm, so they hired me internally. Here I am, 24, 25 years old, and now I'm, I'm training all of these folks on leadership, like senior leaders. What the hell do I know about leadership, right? Well, I ended up leaving and going with this consulting firm. Uh, primary client at the time was AT&T, did a bunch of work. Fast forward, uh, I get a call. To, it's basically a casting call with a significant consulting firm that has a deal with the University of Phoenix. And I mean, this, this consulting company has been around for 
a significant amount of years, highly successful. Um, and I and I got several folks that I've worked with that, that vouch for me, right? So I go on site to the University of Phoenix and uh, we go up in a train the trainer type deal and I do my thing. And uh, they tell me, Aaron, uh, you're not a good fit. And I said, oh, perfect. Like, uh, uh, you know, that stinks, but tell me a little bit more as to why you say that. And what it was, was my style, right? They're, they're very much old school. Like if you could recall the, the folks that, that had, this is your power stance and you don't yeah. come over here, you don't go over here. This is how you deliver. You got your white shirt, you got your red tie, you don't have hexagon just dug it on your shirt. Right. So, so my style was always a little bit different. And so what's interesting about everything that you said is I think at the end of the day, my own personal opinion is who are you in your most authentic form? And I'm not talking about the whiskey bottle in the back. You know, be be smart, use your yeah. common sense. Yes, right. But but my style works for me. Uh, I do have the ability to engage with people over a virtual platform. Uh, I, I can show up in a Hacksaw Jim Duggan shirt and, and have a little bit of fun. And, right. and, and I guess it, it really culminated for me when I got to talk to a guy that I look up to a great deal who's had a lot of success in consulting. He says, Paul, you get away, excuse my language, you get away with a lot of shit in front of a group that I could never. Right. And, and so I, I asked why. And he said, I think it boils down to the fact that it comes from a really good place. Yeah. You don't have intent. You're literally about the other person. And so my point in saying all of this is when you're presenting, whether it's an Aaron Starnes or a, you know, a Paul Long or, you know, somebody at Lifetime Fitness, at the end of the day, what are you trying to present? What's your desired outcome? How do you get others to be genuinely interested? And how do you present yourself to be who you are rather than who you're not. So, yeah. you know, I, I admire what you're doing specifically because you told me about the investments that you've made. Yeah. I had somebody hire, or I, I hired somebody to do the presentation setup and we got new yeah. technology and yeah. you're never good with just the status quo, which is super amazing. Um, you said to me something the other day that a lot of people could relate to. And I wanted to dive in a little bit further. When asked you about scheduling this, you said, gosh, Paul, in looking at my calendar and you showed me your phone <laughs> and this, this look comes over your face of disgust. Yeah. How do you manage that? How do you manage knowing that your day is pretty much accounted for weeks in advance and find time for your own self? Interesting. Uh, that's, it is. It's, it's very interesting. And I think even this it's definitely been manifested right in in what we're everybody's going through right i was i was talking to a gentleman this morning by the way i've already been to the gym i was there early this morning Dagger. uh <laughs> but um you know when doing that i think that you you know everybody wants a piece of your time right um and i think you gotta you you have to start to train people to do things the right way right and i mean that by even the people that are trying to monopolize your time what's the need, right? What's the need? What's the, you know, what are we trying to accomplish by doing this? Are we just putting a meeting on the books to have a meeting on the books, right? And, and I think that that's some of the things is, is being able to push back. I'm not a yes person. I, you know, I remember when I took this job over a couple of years ago that um, I literally told my, the hiring uh, VP for this was, um, if you want a yes person, don't hire me, right? If you want somebody that's going to agree with you, don't hire me. Um, and, uh, but if you want somebody to do their thing, you know, that you're going to give the ability to do that. So I say all that to say, 
you gotta, you gotta be able to push back, right? What's this for, right? We have three other meetings set up that are all pretty similar. Can we combine these, right? Um, and, and again, because everybody does want a piece of your time. By the way, you have a job that you're pay- being paid to do, right? Does this take you away from what the company is asking you completely to do? Because listen, they'll, they'll, people will pull you into this stuff. They'll delegate. There are people that are really, really good at delegating and they'll delegate for you if you allow them to do that, right? So um, there, it, as my day starts, you know, I look at it the night before, which is probably not the right thing to do, but you know, my typical day starts at 7 a.m. and goes till you know, five, six o'clock at night a lot of times, right? But I also got to, you got to make time for yourself in there, right? Um, whether it be a 30 minute walk, um, you know, whether it be some downtime, right? Um, I have a, a Navy, Navy SEAL gentleman that, that I've uh, become friends with over the years that talked me, talked to me about like flipping the switch, right? Um, and that's part of what my schedule looks like. I've, I've really incorporated that over the last two years of, you know, really documenting my time. That's what works for me, right? Find something that works for you, but documenting every piece of my day is what works for me. My breaks are documented in my calendar, right? So that just knows that I just need to put my head down for 45 minutes and I'm going to go leave this room and do something mindless for a few minutes, right? If I, um, I've gotten to the point where, um, and I've done this for years, I don't check email before 9 a.m. That's smart. Because my day is going to be completely derailed yes. if I check that email. Yes. Okay. So again, so I I also tell this to people, I don't work well on the road. I don't answer emails very well when I travel, that sort of thing. I'm I'm constantly, I mean, I've been spending 20 years in in my roles trying to figure some of that stuff out, right? So it's not something that you can rip the Band-Aid off overnight and say, hey, I liked what Aaron said, or I liked what Sean said, or I liked what Paul said, whoever, right? You can't, you, you got to start fitting pieces in and, and talk to other people about how they're managing their schedule. This is what works for me. Managing my piece, every piece of my day until I walk out of this office works well for me. I didn't think it would. I'm not an incredibly organized person by nature. I'm not. But technology has allowed me to do that. Use technology to help you and not to hurt you, right? Um, but even taking it back to what you originally said, though, too, Paul, is uh, um, you've, you've, got to hold, you've got to push back and set boundaries for people. Otherwise, they'll monopolize your time, right? Because there, there will people that will find hours in your day to do that. It's okay. Block times on your calendar, right? So people can see that you have block time on your calendar, and, and you tell them when they can put things in, right? That's the other thing too. Otherwise people will just start to fill your day. It's, 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 it, there's no easy science to it. And there's some days that are absolutely crazy, right? But you know, for me, this was something important for me to do. I was looking forward to it. I'm like, all right, let's, yeah, 11 o'clock, let's get this thing done. And, and uh, you know, I blocked the time off, you know, 15, 20 minutes before this and gave myself a little bit of time after to kind of, you know, I'm, I'll probably be all geared up and wired. You know, this was, this was, I, I've had a blast doing this with you. So, you know, you, you go do something mindless for a few more minutes and then get back to work. Right. So, well, here's the good news. If we were on an airplane right now, the flight, uh, the flight crew would be saying over the loudspeaker, make sure your tray tables and seat backs are in an upright position. Dude. <laughs> landing. So, uh, as a fundamental podcast listener, you know, one of the things we really pride ourselves in is, and I don't do as great enough as a job as I'd like to of this, but really supplying real tactical ideas or things for you to improve your quality of life. And I wrote down three, Aaron, that, that you said, 
when managing your calendar or your calendar or or your time in any given day. First and foremost, so these three items were first and foremost, whenever somebody tries to approach you with a meeting or some of your time, a simple question could go a long way. This happened to me recently. A gentleman came up to me at the gym. He said, hey, I've seen your work. I love what you're doing. I'd love to grab coffee with you. Said, perfect. Send me your email or send me an email. So he emails me and it says the same exact thing. I said, listen, it's a pleasure meeting you. I'd love to talk further. Help me understand what the desired outcome of our meeting is. That one question, Aaron, he didn't respond. Because yep. at which point he, he he just it was just to shoot the shit right it was just it it was just to hang out and yeah. I, I want to do that but if I'm going to do that to your point uh, number two maybe I have to set aside time in my calendar invite people to do that I have to set expectations that's the second thing that I heard yes. so the first thing is ask a question what's the desired outcome second thing is the expectations, set them, set boundaries, whether it's I'm out of town and I'm not going to respond in a regular, you know, in the regular time frame that I do, or, you know, this time is allotted for issues like this. Feel free to, to go ahead and attach yourself to one of those little intervals. I love that one. And then, uh, the third one is, is, um, you, you talked about just scheduling time for yourself, right? Yeah. It's important that while you're not very logistically inclined or detail oriented, I'm not either. Um, it's important to schedule time for yourself if indeed everybody else is scheduling stuff in there. Yeah. I myself get very discouraged, Aaron, when I wake up and I see my calendar is full. Yeah. Some would say that's a good thing, right? Oh, well, I'm busy. But the same token, like I don't have time to do some of the stuff that I want to do or could potentially do in moving me forward. So... I uh, I thank you for that. Uh, to the Fundamentals Podcast listener, hopefully you took good notes. If not, just rewind. Um, as we start to uh, to wrap up our time together, I have an amazing graphic designer, Aaron, yes. who uh, actually goes to Lifetime Fitness. Her name is Audrey Wilson. And uh, she takes uh, the Fundamentals Podcast guests and makes uh, some of the most cool uh, and uh, interesting images you've ever seen. And they're all based on pop culture. So my final question to you, my friend is growing up, what were some of your favorite shows, uh, songs, albums, whatever it may be. So, uh, later, like in my teenage, late teenage years, man, I, uh, I'm a pocket kiss fan. Oh, really? Yeah, man. Um, I had an, I had one of my best buddies growing up, his older brother, significantly older than I was, uh, but he found out he couldn't get any of his buddies to go to some of these concerts. Well, Clint, his name was Clint, uh, would, uh, he'd like, he'd, he'd front me the money and I'd pay him back over time, but we would do these concerts, some of these concerts together. So, uh, uh, went to my, uh, went to the original, like as, as kiss came back in, in the late nineties, uh, into makeup. So got a chance to see them in, uh, without makeup. And then as they came back full makeup in the late nineties, uh, mid, actually mid nineties, but highly enjoyed that. Um, from, I, I love eighties hair band stuff. Yes. Uh, trying to get my, my, uh, my kids into that, but man, growing up, man, having these, uh, Marvel comics, Ooh. um, come back in, you know, uh, the Avengers series, all these guys come back. I was bringing back transformers. I love these. Ty- I know it's probably cheesy, but this is my childhood being, taken out of uh, the caricatures and cartoons and into real life. And it is, uh, I get so geeked up when these movies come out. So. Listen, you're a Hulk if I've ever seen one, brother. Uh, 
<laughs> what's interesting about Kiss is, so I, uh, you know, I, I grew up an '80s kid too, um, and uh, so I was on the after side of Kiss. Like I still yeah. listen to music. I'm really a throwback, like an old soul. I listen to a lot of. Yesterday at the gym, I was listening to the Temptations and the Four Tops. But, oh, nice. Uh, but one thing I remember most about Kiss is when Gene Simmons was married to Shannon Tweed because Shannon Tweed was on all those old Showtime. Yeah. To me in the 80s, I was like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know, I know. <laughs> I grew up and I learned that family over everything, FLE. <laughs> hey, Aaron, as we start to wrap, wrap up, um, yeah. just in closing, what's one of the most significant leadership lessons or quotes or pieces of advice that you were ever given that kind of helped steer you on the right track or even guide you today? Man, I, you know, there, there's a number of them. And I, I said, you know, let me even kind of set some of the record straight to with, with your listeners, you know, a lot of this stuff is, um, you know, whether it be with food, diet, exercise, and all this stuff, man, it is, is um, none of this stuff is instantaneous, right? Um, this is, 20 years, right? This goes back for me, 30 plus years of things, you know, from a gym standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, even from a leadership standpoint. Um, and for me, probably one of the, the, you know, you learn from the leaders that you, um, that you never want to be like again, and also from the leaders that you want to take that and see, can you put those into your leadership skills, right? Um, I think significantly, man, I have, I've had a couple leaders in my life, um, and, and guys can get really bad about this. I, I, and I know probably women can as they get older, but men really, really can. Um, and that's surrounding yourself with kind of like your nights of the round table. For me, it's my band of brothers that I've got some guys here in the neighborhood and French that friends that I've grown up with, man, we, we, that's what we call ourselves the band of brothers. We're all on a text message together. And, and I think strategically I can take and, and, and bounce things off of them, right? They're, they're people that you trust. And uh, a leader told me, you know, has talked to me about this over, over the years of finding those people that are your, your band of brothers that, that are going to hold you accountable in leadership and in life and make you be real. So when I ask you, you know, kind of what's your story, that's kind of how some of that stuff is transitioned. But I think significantly, that's one of the biggest things from a leadership standpoint that has changed me over the years is not just people that I've networked with, right? And you call your friends, but like your true down and dirty that I can, I can talk to these people about anything. And I think significantly for me in leadership, that is what's really transformed me from a leadership leader standpoint, the, the encouragement and the, and not discouragement, but like, Hey, what, whatever made you think that you were prepared to do that leadership role, right? Having those real conversations. Listen, I've had that one. Somebody told me that one time, right? When I thought that I should be in a job that I didn't get, right? And some, they looked at me in the face and was like, Aaron, what have you ever done that prepared you for that? And I was like, I hate you right now. I'm going to walk away and be ticked, but you're absolutely right. So significantly having your nights of the round table, your band of brothers that are going to be real with you, man. Well, I took two things. Uh, you could learn from the best. You could learn from the worst so long as you're present, right? You could see anything that you want to see. So just because you've got somebody around you that maybe doesn't dis demonstrate the, the same level of skill or attributes that you would desire, maybe just maybe you could still learn from them by seeing what you don't want to do or don't yeah. want to become. And secondly, find your band of brothers or sisters or your knights uh, of the round table, whatever it may be, because your, your circle of influence can play a significant role on how you show up. So 
Aaron Starnes, speaking of showing up, dude, I can't wait until I see you again at the gym. We greatly appreciate your time today. I know you got to run. So thank you, my friend. To you, the Fundamism Podcast listener, we couldn't be this whatever in the heck we are without you. We greatly appreciate your support. Go out and have some fun today and create some fun in the lives of others. And until we see you on the flip side, be safe, smile often, and have fun. Deuces. Deuces.